There's been a ton of news on the rapid advancement of generative AI around the business world. And enthusiasm for its potential, I think it's fair to say, has reached a fever pitch. Would you believe that knowledge workers are six times more likely to say that the main beneficiaries of AI are employers rather than employees? Ivanti's recent research showed a high degree of skepticism about the individual benefits of AI, not only among workers as a whole, but interestingly, that the divide was even starker if you single out the IT workers. They are eight times more likely to say that employers are the beneficiaries far more than employees. And yet these are the very same workers who are tasked with implementing these tools throughout the enterprise. For leaders who are bullish about the opportunities that artificial intelligence can unlock, and I do count myself as one of them, this is a big hurdle to overcome, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. Hi, I'm Jeff Abbott, and you're listening to Executive Summary, a podcast where we discuss the latest research into IT security and the future of work, and what it all means to your business strategy. I'm really pleased to be joined today by Jamie Holcomb the CIO of the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Jamie is a 30-year veteran of IT leadership across both the public and private sector, spanning Fortune 500s and startups alike. Since taking on leadership of IT for the USPTO five years ago, Jamie's won major accolades for his work enabling the agency through AI. So he's the perfect guest for this topic. And Jamie, I'm just thrilled to have you here today. Well, I'm very thankful that you invited me because it's such a great topic to discuss. And there's so many subtleties and nuances, and yet the stark reality that it's going to propel us into the next generation of software is just so exciting. It is. I couldn't agree more. Look, hey, before we launch into the discussion, I do want to give a brief overview of the research I've been citing today. The report is called Getting Employees On Board for the AI revolution, and it's part of our digital employee experience research series. The responses come from two separate surveys Avanti conducted in the first half of 2023, covering a total of 16,000 IT professionals, office workers, and leaders. And what we see overwhelmingly as we look at the data from this work is that while there's tremendous opportunity for AI to improve the overall digital employee experience, and alleviate the enormous workload on IT teams, there is angst. And there's still a lot of work for leaders to do to overcome their employees' concerns. Um, Jamie, you came into this role five years ago with a change mandate to, to modernize a massive federal agency, no small feat. And part of why I'm excited to have you on to discuss this topic is that you've, you've uh, been part of that change mandate. And, and you were the pioneer of adopting AI within the patent office. Can you give our listeners some background on the sheer scale of that change and where those innovative AI use cases, where they came from? Sure, it'd be my pleasure because many people don't know that the patent and trademark office has been open for over 200 years. Our mission is listed in the Constitution of the United States. And so what we do is we award patents and we register trademarks. And when I came in, these people definitely understood what role they played and they were so competent in what they do. However, 
the the machines, the actual computers and the infrastructure on which they were doing it was 30 years old. And so in that vein, we went on a modernization and stabilization effort to the point now where five years later, we have a great stabilized base and an infrastructure. But along the way, the biggest things that changed was the artificial intelligence. And what I came in with the use cases were three distinct items, use cases. What they are is classification, search, and fraud. So what we've done at the Patent and Trademark Office is classified patents based on the old way and the new way. And there's nothing that can replace people. But people's knowledge can be input into these algorithms to the point where the people become better because they're given the opportunity to really make those decisions about a learned algorithm rather than the rote automation from before. In other words, if you're just doing something that you could do with a checklist and check off one through 10 and repeat doing that over and over again, that's just like any other automation. But if you have something that you want the machine to learn on and then change its programming based on that learning, that becomes artificial intelligence. That's the difference. In a large respect, I want to get rid of that term artificial intelligence and call it augmented intelligence because that's the way it truly can be adopted. So now an examiner, correction, a classifier only has to come in and actually mitigate the exposure on really hard cases for classification. The, the regular ones, the rote ones can just go through. So now we have more time to spend and it becomes better quality. So that was the first use case. In the second use case, we did search. And of course, what we tried to do was not replace the examiner, but augment them. And so in essence, we have an augmentee bot for each examiner, not the entire examiner core, but rather each examiner gets their own bot and it learns from them on a user and personal basis. So instead of replacement, you have augmentation. And finally, of course, we talk about fraud and the ability to recognize fraud by learning from fraudulent applications in the past. Now, that doesn't guarantee any future fraudulent applications, but at least you have a basis to learn from. So those are the three use cases, and we've been very successful in each area. You know, you know what's particularly fascinating and, and, and encouraging, Jamie, is you know, your office and your team are really the cradle of innovation in this country, right? If you are uh, from anywhere in the world, you know the United States is a place you can go and apply for a patent on, on something new and innovative. So ironically, here you are not only changing kind of the landscape of, of how the offices run, but the technology it uses and, and creating and fostering that, that you know, uh, spirit of innovation. And, I, you know, I just think that's fascinating for, for the listeners to think about. Here you are, a 200-year-old agency that's completely reinvented itself with AI. It's tremendous. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. In fact, that was one of my mantras that I've got people to overcome their resistance to change by saying, hey, if we're Americans Innovation Agency, we need to be innovative. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. You know, um, let, let's go back to the re research for just a second. When, when we ask whether AI 
primarily benefits employers, employees, or both. As I said in the introduction, Jamie, the results indicate respondents overwhelmingly, they feel that employers reap the benefits. I was curious, in, in your position, have you felt that kind of skepticism across your team? And if so, how have you addressed it? Not necessarily in my team, but across the spectrum, I have definitely encountered that. Luckily, I started four years ago with this journey. And just recently, it's caught a lot of attention because of generative AI and its applicability right away to almost any type of problem. So you have to show results. What we've done at the USPTO is create an emerging technologies team, which takes in a lot of different business cases, and it proves the business case in the small. That's phase one. You need to get results in 90 days to prove that it works. In the next 90 days, then you have to show how it can scale. Because so what? It works in the small. It doesn't work in the big. Therefore, it could fail at that phase as well. And our final phase, the last 90 days, is an executive champion, somebody who's willing to pay for that to be put into production. Because if it's not put into production, what difference does it make? Right. And I think what I can draw from your position is, hey, having been at it for four years and being a vocal and visible champion to the team or for what the, the, the technology and AI can do for the team gives them a level of comfort, right? That this is about getting better as an organization and, and it's really about the outcomes from the tools. And as you said, it's augmentation, not replacement. So I wanna to return to one of your points for a second that AI is freeing up the workforce. We see across the research that the experience employees have with technology influences way more than their productivity and efficiency. 61% say that negative technology experience impact their morale and 17% say they would, they'd even consider leaving a job because of bad tech. And when you think about the digital employee experience in that context, you know how good are the tools they use and how efficient is the processes they operate under, it really reorients the role of IT. And I think that's evident in what you're talking about in terms of enabling the, the workforce. What's your reaction to that? Yes, everyone's talking about CX outside the applicants, your customers from external. But we have a huge measure of EX, the employee experience. One of the things that we think is examiners are the most important asset that we have because that's our business. We award and reject, and examiners do that. The procurement staff doesn't do that. The HR staff doesn't do that. The examiners do that. So if we have a great employee experience, we assume that we'll have a great customer experience. Now, it doesn't always go one for one, but I always think that you should work on your employee experience first because it's definitely within your control. Then you work on your customer experience such that you know what the employees can and can't deliver. You understand the culture and you know where they're coming from. And if you get the augmented intelligence to take care of their administrative and clerical deeds, right? You, you're able to create a better environment where they're working on quality issues and not paperwork, that's the best employee experience you can have. Yeah, I agree. And and look, I, I appreciate your point, especially about having a champion. And and I think as we, you know, think about this uh this technology evolution we're in, 
This is why more and more organizations, yourself included, Jamie, are measuring that digital experience or measuring what's working, what's not. An interesting point that came up in light of the research is that even though we're seeing a positive reaction to this concept of digital employee experience being something that IT owns, it's not really being operationalized. And about half of the IT respondents say it's not a high priority. What do you think is the, is the stumbling block there for organizations in, in measuring digital experience? I think that so many executives have been burned by the promises of something that was never delivered. So what we need to do in the boardroom is approve these emerging technology projects on a very limited basis where it's show me the results, show me how it scales, and then get somebody to buy it. Make sure that you sell it to somebody that it's going to be put into operation. Because if I ain't putting it in operation, I don't even want to talk about it. I couldn't agree more. And, and to your point about show me, measuring is proving, right? And, and looking every day uh, through a, a DEX tool or, or otherwise is a, is a great first step. In light of everything we, we've talked about today, what's one thing you would tell our listeners to do differently when they approach either generative AI or digital experience or the whole kind of technology landscape? I would say take into consideration your culture. If you have an innovative culture, great, you can capitalize on that. But if you have that stodgy culture, recognize it. Don't, don't spit into the wind. Try to get through to the folks on a business case basis that this could really be good for them. Sell them on what's in it for them, not what's in it for you. Because if you don't get that executive champion, if you don't get that final phase three, it ain't going to happen and you're going to fail miserably and you're going to fail big, which is the worst thing to do. Excellent. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you, Jeff. Well, look, if you, if you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe and even better, share the podcast with a friend. You can see the research we discussed today at Avanti.com, I-V-A-N-T-I.com forward slash research, or just follow the links in the show notes. And you can find out more about Avanti and our solutions at Avanti.com or follow us on social media at GoAvanti. I'm your host, Jeff Abbott, and I hope to see you next time on Executive Summary.